Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, and a very warm welcome to the Lizelle Wellbeing Show. Now, there isn't much to do with women's health that we haven't talked about here at Lizelle Wellbeing, but there's plenty that changes for men too as they age. And that's why in this week's episode, I am speaking to Dr. Jeff Foster, a senior doctor and men's health specialist who's on a real mission to get us talking about the specific medical needs of men, especially as they enter the second half of their lives. Well, following his physiology degree from King's College London. Jeff went on to train at the Leicester Warwick Medical School, gaining experience as a GP and in the busy accident and emergency department. And it was through his time in general practice that he started to take an interest in men's health, noticing that men were more likely to be diagnosed with many more medical conditions than women, and that they have a shorter life expectancy too. Heart disease, diabetes, mental health are just some of the conditions that he felt were misunderstood in the context of male healthcare. And so he set out to establish a more holistic and proactive approach to health in midlife. He has since opened a specialist men's health clinic to provide direct access to the help his patients need and has published his fabulous first book. It's called Man Alive, the health problems men face and how to fix them. Well, we've just had an eye-opening chat about key markers of men's health, whether menopause is something we should be talking about and how men can best look after their bodies. And don't forget that if you would like to watch our chat today and to see Jeff, the video podcast is available on YouTube. And as always, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on Instagram after the show. So let's get into the episode with Jeff. So, Jeff, a warm welcome. Thank you for joining us today. And, and it's interesting for us here at Lizard Wellbeing because we're so focused on women's health that actually I think this is the very first time that we've had a specific total look at just the guys. So welcome. This is this is new territory for a lot of us. Thank you. That's, that's very, I'm very honoured. Uh, no, it's great. And, and, and congrats on your first book as well. But let's let's kind of rewind a little bit. Why men's health for you as, as a GP? I mean, obviously, you are a bloke, but why did you want to specifically focus on that for, for your area of specialisation? Originally, it wasn't by choice. It was more by design. And um, when I first joined my NHS practice, um, 
I was at the time the younger male doc, obviously not now, but at the time the younger male doc and a lot of guys were coming to me with male health issues. Um, and the problem was I didn't really have anyone to ask. Um, right. And over time it became more clear that there's this kind of niche of male health problems that were really common, but you didn't have anyone to go to per se. So. For example, you could ask about, I don't know, urological problems to a urologist, and you could ask about endocrinology problems to an endocrinologist, and they all had their own little bits, but nobody really looked at the guy as a whole. And you could say, well, that's what the GP does normally, and we do try, but there are male-specific issues that are just left. And as a result, the endocrinologists kind of say, well, it's kind of this, but your GP will sort it, or urologists say, well, it's probably not prostate, but but your GP will kind of get to, and the proof of course is just GPs, we look at the total, but there isn't that specialist yeah. view of just male health. Over time, I started to therefore do it myself. And I started to sit in with endocrinologists and urologists and various other docs till eventually we could say, actually, we can help you, but we kind of have to almost create a specialty within a specialty and just say, we're going to look at male health as its, as its own issue. And that's how it all developed. That's really interesting. You know, as as a woman, I guess we're so used to you know hearing about things like well women clinics, and obviously I've been very involved in talking about menopause and with women. There's a lot of you know antenatal and postnatal and and all of those kind of things. And you hear about well woman checks, you know mammograms and smear tests and all that kind of thing. So, do you think there's a real role then for creating a sort of a, a well man aspect of of general practice? You know, a, a kind of a men's health area that really focuses on very specific male problems? I personally think that male health is following the pattern that women's health has, in particular menopause, but we are five or ten years behind. So menopause is a really good example and 10-15 years ago you'd go to a GP, they might know a bit about menopause, but odds are a lot of them didn't. You might go to a gynaecologist, thinking it was their area, but it wasn't really their area. And it was kind of this yeah. left, this void. And now, obviously, <laughs> at last, there's starting to be a real knowledge and a real awareness of menopause that just wasn't there. And I think the same issue yeah. is occurring with men. And men are kind of going, oh, hang on. We've got stuff that we are very similar. We need to sort out. <laughs> stuff going on. Yeah, but where do we go? And so I think maybe it's the same journey, but just catching up. Mm. So I think, yeah, you're right. Totally. There's, I really interesting but I mean fundamentally though you know what is different about men's health you know are, are, are their bodies very different yeah but it's not just bodies which is the problem so men are in a really weird situation now where they're not the stereotypical um, alpha male of the 20th century who does all the work comes home wife cooks etc etc and they ignore their bodies etc yeah. and they're now being told well, you know, you should think about your health, you should think about your mental health, you should talk to people, but you're also being told you should be manly and look tough and train really hard and guys don't really know where they sit. So because of that, I think men are starting to want to get help, but they don't really know where to go or how to achieve it. Um, mm. In terms of what's different, well, physiologically, yes, men are different and there are the hormonal, chromosomal differences. Things like testosterone will affect your health in the ways that other 
um, uh, hormones don't, you've got cardiovascular differences, you've got genetic mental health differences between men and women, and then you've got all that societal social stuff, which I sort of touched on before, which is how men see themselves in terms of their fitness and health. And we still get guys who will say, I'm really proud. I've not seen a doctor for 20 years. I mean, that, that isn't a good thing. Wow. So that's a badge of honor and it shouldn't yeah. be really, should yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's work culture, you know, people still go to the pub at the end of work. Um, and mm. There's the travel and work culture of going to work very early, stopping off at a gas station, so petrol station, getting a pie and eating that for your lunch, <laughs> and then not having time to look after yourself. And that's just yeah. part of work culture. And we still have that really ingrained. That's the, the biggest challenge, I think, is how do we change the way men think about their own health? Mm. I'm fascinated. I mean, we'll obviously come on and talk about hormones, in particular testosterone, because I'm, you know, I'm very, very interested in that, and, and also the role of testosterone for women. But it'd be great to chat through the, the area for men as well. But I'm interested that you talk about cardiovascular health and, and you know, heart health being different, because, you know, when, when I think about my heart and I think about, you know, your heart or my boy's hearts, I think, well, you know, we just have a heart, like we have a pair of lungs or we have a, a liver or whatever. Are there really physiological differences inside our bodies between men and women's hearts? So the heart structure is probably the same. And we can't really say that you could differentiate by taking a man and a woman's heart and tell who's was who. But what you can do is you can look at how risk factors change for different sexes. So we know, for example, that men are more prone to having high blood pressure, and that's a case from an earlier age. Interestingly, after menopause, of course, that all tends to change, and we think those are hormonal related. The fact that estrogen is so protective, and yet we can't give blokes a load of estrogen to protect their cardiac risk at young, well, you could, but that'd be a very different lifestyle choice. Um, so you need to think about these sort yeah. of risk factors that affect the impact on the heart at a different age in men. Mm -hmm. Cholesterol profiles are different again. Um, and then other lifestyle factors, things like diabetes, which is more common in men at a younger age, et cetera, et cetera. And these all impact right. on the safety of the heart. So the cardiovascular risk changes according to sex. Yes, you're right. The hearts are effectively the same to start, but all these other factors come outside and then change the way men are affected earlier. That's so interesting. And then, of course, looking at something like testosterone. So just as women kind of run on estrogen, that's our main fuel, if you like, hormonally, is, is the same true of, of guys? I mean, are, are you running on testosterone? Is, is that what's filling your tank? Yeah, it really is that. And it's a good analogy. I don't really, I might, I might steal that. Um, You're we, welcome. Testosterone really is the, <laughs> I think it's, it's weird because from a, um, from a social and media perspective, everyone knows that testosterone is so important. You know, you must have testosterone as a guy. It makes you what you are. From a medical perspective, mm. we often downplay the role of testosterone, which I find really strange. So it's often trivialized and the reference ranges, for example, of what is classed as low testosterone isn't really high enough because we often underplay it and just say, well, it's probably, it's important, but it's not that important. But really, really? Um, Testosterone does so much for your daily function, just in the way that estrogen does for women, that when you suddenly start to take it out of guys, they feel dreadful. Yeah. And um, I, again, I'd say that a testosterone deficiency in men mimics menopause in women so closely that really we're not that different in the way we present or feel. That's so fascinating. So the role of testosterone, so boys 
are they they're born with testosterone is it something that surges during puberty talk us through the kind of the life cycle of testosterone in men so you can argue that up until puberty there is very little impact very little there's some impact but very little impact significantly in testosterone between boys and girls that would differentiate the two it's it's really important to stress that testosterone is not the only hormone that differentiates us differentiates us sexually mm. and obviously there are other things like growth hormones and cortisols and thyroids which vary between the sexes but when you're talking primarily um secondary sexual changes testosterone and estrogen are the two that differentiate you at puberty testosterone is the thing that's going to give you those classic changes such as um height difference muscle mass differentiates in the way we distribute body fat uh, voice changes the ability to grow a beard although not that well clearly but that, that in theory <laughs> for anybody watching yeah, on yeah, youtube I just realized I probably should have <laughs> but in theory your ability to grow a beard um, yeah. or how good is not determined by testosterone i should point out but the ability to grow it at right. all is determined um body okay. hair um pubic and uh, underarm hair that sort of stuff these are all determined by testosterone and you can see the physical things really easily and you know that they mm. tend to be associated with testosterone everyone kind of associates that there's also the stuff underneath that you don't see and um, so, for example, cognitive function is related to testosterone levels mm -hmm. and how your personality functions is related to testosterone. And I don't mean in a, say, a negative way. So you might argue that oh, people think that if you have too much testosterone, you're aggressive. And that isn't really the mm -hmm. case. You find that people that have very low testosterone become irritable and ratty and unhappy. And the same in the alternative. You give them way too much, right. they become ratty. But you need testosterone to give you clarity of thought. Yeah, well, that's very true for women too. You know, a lot of cognitive function during menopause declines because we lose our testosterone. So I, it's interesting to hear you say that that's exactly the same with the guys. We had one chap who was 65, 70, who had been diagnosed with dementia and his dementia mm. was in fact severe testosterone deficiency. And the key- oh, that Jeff, that's amazing. It is, it's rare, you know, but it makes you think. And the key yeah. thing that made us test the testosterone was the- commonality between the way women describe it as brain fog he said he'd had brain yeah. fog for months and then his memory just went through the floor and it was testosterone and you replaced it and he went back to normal which is great so he's a great person. isn't that extraordinary i mean i've heard you know that, that the decline in testosterone in men in in the sort of second half of life has been kind of nicknamed the menopause. Is that something that just as women should be aware of declining estrogen and, and the need to replace estrogen, is that something that we need to get out there for the guys, kind of 50 plus, you know, go and be tested for testosterone? It's harder in men because whereas you can guarantee that every woman will go through menopause at some stage. Now, you don't know when that will be. And of course, I think sometimes the mistake we make in the medical profession is assuming that it's going to be in your late 40s early 50s you know and we mm. therefore don't look at those in their 30s who might be getting it earlier yeah. but you are a dream gp by the way jeff i have to say <laughs> you are a dream well, gp know. you know to hear you say these things for somebody who's campaigned and worked so closely with menopause issues for so many years this is just a delight to talk to you about this um, that's very kind i, I don't think actually it's <laughs> I think it's just that if you understand how the male process works, you can see how mm. it matches in the female side so easily um, and vice versa. So 
The difficulty in men is that we know testosterone goes up naturally to the age of about 30 and then normally decline by about 1% a year. But the problem is that 1% decline is really variable from person to person. And you can reduce that or mitigate loss a lot by eating well, training hard, making sure you, you don't have other risk factors in life that would make your testosterone drop faster, like being obese or not getting good night's sleep, et cetera, sure. et cetera. But the other thing that makes it difficult is that everyone's natural peak at 30 is variable. So some guys might have a really high testosterone at 30 and they may not notice a loss of testosterone until they're 70. Other guys peak might only have ever been at the bottom end of normal, say 15 or 16 nanomoles per litre, and they might get symptoms in their early 30s. The difficulty mm. is for guys, it's so individual and so variable that really the only way to do it is to think of any age over the age of 30 i'd say if you start to think you're getting symptoms of why am i tired all the time why am i starting to have no interest in sex why do i feel that i just run out of steam have it in the back of yeah. your mind and say should i be thinking could this be a testosterone picture really interesting i've also heard that weight gain around the middle for guys can be a sign of low testosterone is is that the case the, the way to think about it is when you've got a high level of or good level of testosterone you distribute your body fat and your muscle differently and you don't want to think of it as the extreme form you know the the bodybuilder who's absolutely stacked with a v shape but that's your mm. ideal shape position so a fit healthy male who's not that far of course will still have a more classically v-shaped body and you can see that as the shape changes that's the distribution of body fat that changes and that might be related to decreased testosterone it might of course be increased estrogen and you might be eating really bad food and not exercising very much and doing things in your lifestyle but certainly the hormone profile will match that interesting so talk us through why, why do men have estrogen that's not a, a hormone that we associate with men oh god yeah you definitely need estrogen as a guy Crikey. Um, so Isn't that fascinating? I mean, I, I've been watching the studies on oestrogen, particularly in relation to COVID and, and helping the immune system. And I think there have been a couple of hospital trials where they've had guys, you know, sadly in intensive care, usually obese, I have to say, but they've been treating them with oestrogen uh, patches. Yeah. So what, talk, talk us through the role of oestrogen for the men. So in men, if you imagine that we convert or produce a small amount of oestrogen from the testosterone we have, and we actually produce a small amount ourselves, but oestrogen has an independent role separate from testosterone in guys. And you need oestrogen to keep your bones dense, same as women. You get osteoporosis. Same in as guys. women for osteoporosis. Um, yep. You yep. need it for sex drive. And there is this idea that if you just give testosterone to men, for sexual dysfunction they'll improve but actually a natural part of sex drive and sexual function in men is having a small amount of estrogen to produce that so you do need it on board you also need it for things like um, mental cognition uh, for fat distribution etc yeah. etc et we see occasionally in some men who uh, may abuse testosterone say from the gym or etc cetera, etc cetera, that they will use estrogen blockers in the hope that this will somehow maximize the testosterone they've got and reduce any of the unwanted bits but actually it makes them really unwell and there's no point in having the body of like a 20 year old athlete if your bones are the 90 year old osteoporotic because you've blocked sure. the stuff that you need so really what you want is just as women need testosterone and estrogen whereas the difference in men is they want testosterone here and estrogen there but still have it 
and women's are just mm-hmm. the opposite. They want estrogen and testosterone. But so high estrogen for women with a little bit of testosterone. Exactly. And for right. guys, high testosterone with a little bit of estrogen. That is so fascinating. I'm interested that you've mentioned the word food and eating a couple of times. How do you feel that men should be thinking about what they're eating, particularly in relation to getting their hormone balance right? The big key issue for men and the biggest thing that is disrupting testosterone in men is actually not so much what that what is what they're eating, but the volume of what they're eating. And the biggest really? causes of low testosterone in men is primarily age related and then secondary diet and um, body weight related. Um, simple obesity is a massive, massive killer to your testosterone production. Is it? Why? Um, how, how does that work physically? There's multiple. This is the problem that the, the testosterone pathway that produces testosterone is really sensitive and lots of things interrupt it, which makes it a nightmare in trying to get levels to where they should be. So just eating bad foods can impact on direct testosterone function. And you hear about so, so, so by bad food, are you talking about like highly processed, yes, lots of sugar? Exactly. So highly yeah. processed foods, things that give you sugar spikes. So, um, you know, simple sugars, et cetera, et cetera, because they produce high levels of insulin, which tend to therefore suppress testosterone production. Um, you should never be thinking, the, the way to think about it is you should never be thinking about making a baby with lots of testosterone if you've just eaten a load of food and your body wants you to have a nap. So it doesn't really work. Um, so you always need to think about the dietary aspect in terms of simple sugars, but just overall calorie count. So if you are large and obese, mm-hmm. It produces a thing called metabolic syndrome, which also increases estrogen directly. So that's an antagonist to testosterone. But so the things are uh, insulin growth factors. Um, having simple, more adipose tissue suppresses testosterone in another part of the pathway and also increases a thing called sex hormone binding globulin, which is a binding protein that sticks to testosterone and makes less and less of it available. So you're free or you're free testosterone, your available testosterone goes down. So even though you might have lots of it, your body weight is so large that it's effectively reducing the available testosterone that you can use on a day-to-day basis. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Wow. I mean, the, the whole issue of, of body fat is, I, I think, hopefully coming to the fore because it's just involved in so many things. And, it, you know, we're almost not allowed to use the word fat, are we? Because there's this been kind of, oh, you know, it's like body shaming if somebody is, you know, an unhealthy weight. But, you know, the bottom line is, is that being overweight, being obese, being fat, you know, whatever you want to call it, is a serious health hazard in so many areas, you know, from immune system to, you know, even, you know, things like rel relatively simple issues like, like hormone production. When we see patients in clinic who might have symptoms of low testosterone and you test them for their testosterone, if it comes out very, very low and they're very mm -hmm. overweight, you have two choices. You can say to them, well, we could just give you testosterone, but that isn't really fixing the problem. And you can often find for these guys that if you can change their lifestyle and you can mm. remove that stopping at the garage for a pie at lunch and saying, actually, <laughs> take an hour for yourself each day, even if that means reducing your work time yeah. or something and doing that exercise and that thought process and that self-reflection and you change your lifestyle such that your body and your health gets better you can stimulate your own balls to produce their own testosterone, in which case you don't need me. I mean, that, that, I mean obviously, every GP, I guess, that the ultimate goal is to do yourself out of a job, isn't it, really? Because you're, you're, you're just after well, well people that don't need to come and see you. <laughs> I think, ideally, and this is where often we are doing things in the private side that we can't do in the NHS purely because of mm. time and financial constraints, is we want to move away from reactive medicine which is often sadly what we have no choice but to do in the nhs to more yeah. preventative medicine which is what we try and achieve more in this private side and so our company which is mm. h3 health we're trying to look at preventative mm. sides of medicine what can we do yeah. from a testosterone from a, a menopause from a lifestyle factor to mean that if we do our job well we don't mm. ever have to send you to that cardiologist because your blood pressure was never high and your testosterone was good and etc. Do you think it would be worth, you know, every guy uh, having a baseline testosterone check? I'm interested that you talk about levels peaking at the age of 30. Is it useful to, to do a test then to see whether you are naturally high or naturally low? And then you can monitor change with a, with a you know, pre presumably a relatively simple blood test every kind of five years or so. It might be. But the other big problem that you've got with men is that not every guy with low testosterone is symptomatic. So you right. could end up treating some guys with low testosterone who feel absolutely fine. Now, the problem mm. we've got at the minute with testosterone replacement is it's only really licensed for symptomatic treatment. Now, we know that if you keep guys in the low end of testosterone, just like you do for women with low areas of estrogen, you start to incur all these other underlying health issues that bubble in the background, and then suddenly their cardiovascular risk goes up and their blood pressure, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. They have all these other problems, but you can't technically treat a guy for, I don't know, um, high cholesterol, diabetes risk, hypertension with testosterone if it's low, unless they said to you, 
yeah, actually, I've got no sex drive and I've got erectile dysfunction. I'm tired all the time. But if they said I feel great, we're not really supposed to treat them for their other risk factors, which makes it difficult. Oh, it does, doesn't it? What about things like prostate? You know, particularly as guys get older, that is obviously such a, a huge area of concern. Is there a connection with testosterone and, and prostate issues? Yeah, in a way. So if you take away someone's testosterone completely, then they're never really going to have a prostate problem. And really? Fact, that's, a bit, that's a bit drastic well, though, isn't it, really? It is, but we use that in <laughs> prostate cancer. So if you treat their prostate cancer, we sometimes give them injections that will completely get rid of their testosterone. The downside of that is, of course, they feel bloody awful, much like they've gone through a very acute menopause and they get hot flushes and they feel dreadful and their boy, bodies... Yeah, we're, we're like a woman being treated for breast cancer and having estrogen blockers, the same, same thing. It works, it keeps you alive, but your quality of life mm. is terrible. The downside mm. is that as you get older, the cumulative effect of testosterone will probably make your prostate bigger and it will grow really? over decades and decades and we can't really affect that. What we do know is that testosterone treatment does not and cannot cause prostate cancer. Um, right. So it's the same thing to give, provided that you know before you start your treatment that your patient doesn't have prostate cancer already. And that's the key. If you just get a guy and they start taking steroids at the back of the gym and they had prostate cancer already, then you can make them mm. really sick because you're feeding that organ, which is already testosterone sensitive. But if you right. gave someone a check and you made sure their testosterone levels were low, but their prostate was safe, you can then give them testosterone yeah. and they're good to go and it's fine. So it can't cause prostate cancer, but you've just got to make sure that it's checked before you start because prostate So somebody with prostate cancer or even post-operative, you know, who's had prostate cancer, could they then go on and have testosterone in the future or not? Would it be a no, -no? If there's strict criteria about how long after having prostate cancer you can start patients on yeah. testosterone. That can be anywhere from five to ten years. Um, it depends yeah. on the surgery or procedure they've done. And that's why you work mm -hmm. really closely with the urologist to make sure they're happy before you consider going down yeah. that route. Fascinating. And, you know, finally, just to finish off the testosterone piece, is it just the gel? I mean, women often get prescribed the, the, the testim gel, which is the, the license for men, but, you know, can be used for women too. Is it simply a question of, of rubbing on the gel just as, as, as a woman might rub on a oestrogen gel? Um, no, you've got a few choices for guys. The only thing yeah. I'd say you should never do is take a tablet. I don't really? think there are many places that still offer oral testosterone replacement. Um, the liver doesn't interact well and there's potential risks that associate with it. Right. Um, you get fluctuating levels of metabolism, estrogen levels all over the place. It's related to liver toxicity. I think we're moving the same way again with the HRT in women. I don't really think we should mm. be using oral HRT either. Um, but no, some places no, still it's use it. It's about moving towards yeah. something that's transdermal. So if you can get it in the uh, blood vessels without having to go through the liver, it's much safer. So for mm. guys, you've got mm. a choice of gel. You've got a choice of cream, which is just coming through now, which is way more effective because it doesn't have that irritation is effect it? that gels have. Um, mm. You've also got injectables. And the injectables can last anywhere from nine days to three months, depending which you want to pick. And it often depends on how happy you are to have someone stick a needle in your bottom every 
eight to 12 weeks. Yeah. If, I mean, it's, it's just so great. Thank you. I, I'm sure that's just been so interesting. And I'm sure a lot of women will be having discussions perhaps across the dinner table about, uh, about testosterone. I'd really like to move on uh, and talk about mental health for guys. And I think there's been a lot of in the press, sadly, particularly over, over the last year to 18 months, um, about the rise, rising rates of depression and suicide in men specifically. Are you seeing differences in the way men approach mental health and, and how can we better help them? Historically, men are bad at talking about their problems. And um, you can see that there have been some quite big media efforts for celebrities to say, oh, I've had mental health issues and they make a nice little series on ITV about it. In general, I'd say, actually, these are not done particularly well, um, purely because they are often seen to be people that are very um, uh, media trained. They are people that have a high celebrity status already. And therefore, the yeah. people that often watch these programs or will often identify with them are not really the target audience that we're trying to get to engage. So mm -hmm. since this massive effort has been done, we've seen a lot of younger people coming in talking about mental health issues, which is great. And we see people in their early, so mid to late teens, early 20s, sometimes early 30s. And we get, there's been an enormous influx of people in their 20s, very willing and open to talk about mental health, often so far to the point where it's not even mental health. It's stuff like, I've broken up with my girlfriend. How do I manage this? And I, I go, <laughs> don't really know at your age I was just lucky if I had a girlfriend <laughs> um so not now obviously yeah. married so it's fine um but um, yeah. <laughs> I think the difficulty is that we still have guys in their 40s and 50s who mm -hmm. aren't identifying with the people they see on the screen as a celebrity and they feel that's a different world to mine I can't go up to my friends in the pub and say look actually I'm really struggling what do I do and these guys don't come to their GP. And the biggest thing that you see is actually depression rates are higher in women. So depression diagnosis rates are higher in women, I should say, but suicide right. rates remain higher in men. And this is all due to the fact that in general, women are still better at talking about their problems and opening up than guys are. There is still a social and psychological culture among men of not being weak. And we drive that into our kids even now and my son's nine and he plays at rugby and in the games you will hear parents or coaches will shout things like you know you don't you don't cry like a girl and don't be weak yeah man, be, up. Ma yeah, man up all sort of stuff and this is being drilled in at an early age so that whilst we're saying on one hand yeah definitely talk about yourself being um open and, and, and but on the other hand we're also saying well don't don't be that open because that's a sign of weakness and you want to be a tough guy and 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 to be fair um from a uh a media side of things still women still are being attracted and being told that guys should be buff and they should be tough and talking about training and being massive and having six packs and this kind of stuff so it's really hard to know where men fit in in terms of when they should be approaching their mental health when do they need to worry and how do you go about talking to someone and it's really tough and that's why suicide rates in the 40s and 50s are still highest in men and it's the highest age group of suicide still is it really 
how can we encourage men to talk then? I mean, is it about just extending friendship groups and, and making it easier? Are, are there simple things that we as women can do to, to support our men folk? Are there simple opening questions that we can ask or things that we could be aware of that might be giving us clues as to a man's mental health? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things we're trying to change culturally is how men talk about how they feel and having a partner or friend that is able to be open or at least somebody that you can confide in can make all the difference between somebody that bottles it up to the point of snapping to somebody that's able to release and whether you feel you're somebody that says I don't need to talk about my problems um, everyone needs some form of vent and it's not particularly healthy from a psychological perspective to always bottle in your how you feel about things. I would say that going to the doctor is not always the best thing to do um, because what we have in the next sort of 10 minutes, that's not enough. And it often takes yeah. time and building a relationship with the doctor to feel that you can suddenly outpour. Um, admittedly, again, this is where the private side has often benefited because you have time and you can talk yeah. to people and really get to know people more. And that's so hard to do when we're so pressured. So sure. I often say to patients, if you feel that we just don't have enough time between us, if you have somebody that you trust, that you feel you can talk to, that's that person. And even if it doesn't have to be every problem initially, little bits just to start to make an indent. And that release can be so enormous that it often, preempts anything worse that might have happened yeah i mean do, do men respond to, to questions like you know how how do you feel i mean what what, what you know what Not what normally. do you find elicits the, 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 the best response because you know i mean I, I often just get shut down with yeah fine yeah I would agree. <laughs> fine it, it's all fine and you go that's no, not really fine is it no uh, no you're right i think i think really the key is not trying to push for an answer and right. if you are saying to right. you, what's wrong? Are you okay? Are you feeling all right? The instant response is to clam up. So really it's about um, trying to pick up on signs if your partner isn't well. So are they talking less? Are they appearing to be less happy in life? Are they wanting to withdraw from social activities or doing things less than mm -hmm. they used to? All those markers that everything's becoming more and more insular. The easiest thing you can do if they don't want to talk about it is actually force them to do something slightly social, um, which sounds almost contraindicative. But um, we know that, for example, um, depression rates were higher in the pandemic when people were trapped in their house. Mm. So simply yeah. going for a walk with your partner, even if they don't want to talk particularly much, is beneficial because it gets them away from a stressful environment. They can't look at their phone. They can't answer a work emails. And it just gives you a bit of time. Yeah. And they may decide halfway through that walk that they may want to talk about something. And I think the big thing is it doesn't have to be some earth shattering experience that they're waiting to divulge to you. And you may be waiting for that thing, but actually just for people to be able to talk about the stresses of their day is enormously yeah. cathartic. And little bits like this, as I say, is the key to stop things building up. Mm, mm. And the role of exercise also presumably is can be really helpful as well. I mean, you talk about walking there, but just generally movement is is just such a great thing, isn't it? For for the brain, we might not we think about it for the body, but actually it's so helpful for the brain. I'm I'm not a massive fan of walking, 
to be honest, in terms of exercise. And I try and differentiate what is exercise to what is personal reflection and time. So if I've got Mm -hmm. the average guy who's, say, 40, 45, 50, if he's going for a walk for 20 minutes, that's great. And it's really good for psychological well-being and to get your blood moving, et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of exercise benefit, it's not really going to cut it. And all the data suggests if you really are talking about exercise, you've got to work and you've got to do something that's going to produce enough of your effort to make you tired and fatigued and your heart racing and sometimes I like to feel a bit sick at the end of training because I know I've put it that when you get the endorphin release and to make yourself feel better I'm not saying you have to put yourself to that far but to get the endorphin release and to get the testosterone surge and to get the metabolic improvement you've got to push your body to the edge of its comfort zone and that's when you see all the real physiological and psychological changes that benefit with exercise. That's fascinating. And, and how often do you have to do that? About three to four times a week. Um, I, I think there's this idea with exercise that you should have to be training for hours and you don't really need to. And much mm. of the evidence, I'm sure you know about this, is this really more of a shorter time, intense, really push it makes the real difference. And for guys, it doesn't have to be weights and it doesn't have to be some form of specific like training hard with the gym, it doesn't matter. The point is it doesn't really matter what the exercise is, as long as it's intense enough to get your heart rate moving, to get you sweating or tired or out of breath, then you're hitting that Mm. point. And that's what we want to achieve really. That's really, really interesting. And I think really, really useful to, to have that clarified. So would you be looking at things like getting a skipping rope? and just skipping outside or doing squats at home or push-ups or you know simple things that you can do on your own you don't have to have equipment you don't have to join a gym but you just push yourself three or four times a week what for like 20 minutes or something we find there are a lot of patients who either for example hate um i don't know going to the gym or they hate running or they hate cycling or something and so what i always mm. say to guys is I don't care what you pick. You can jump up and down on the spot for 20 minutes if you like. It gets tired. (laughs) That's the job. But the the big thing is it's got to be something that's repeatable and that you enjoy. Otherwise, you're not going to stick to it. So if you can't can't find something that you can think, actually, I quite enjoyed that process, then it's not going to work. So the whole key is find something that's relatable to you. Um, There's a big thing around self-reflection for guys and what time do you take out each day to meditate or think about what you've done in the day and that kind of thing and Mm -hmm. i always try and get guys if you're really busy and working really hard is combine the two so i dedicate an hour every day where my phone's not going to be answered it's cheesy 80s music and it's training hard in the gym for me and that time is that time of self-reflection there is no work there's nothing to think about you process what you've done but you also get your exercise done at the same time and that kind of refreshes you for the next bit and I, I really believe that if you get every guy just to, to stick in that bit of self-reflection exercise time each day you don't have to break it all up you can combine it but that's enough and it's enough to make a big difference that's just so so useful and interesting and presumably that carries on throughout our whole life this is something that we should be encouraging you know older partners elderly parents that kind of thing just please get yourself out of breath three or four times a week my 
mother-in-law and my well, my wife, her father passed away last year during the pandemic, and mm. his wife, my mother-in-law, was never massively active before that. She spent a long time looking after him, and their culture yeah. wasn't very much that they would do much since since he passed away. She's gone for walks every day, and even with mm. Parkinson's, she is now fitter and yeah. better in her own well-being at 80 than I've known her, which is amazing, and it just shows... That's so encouraging, is. isn't it? Yeah, definitely. It's so encouraging that, that we can make a difference and, and we can keep keep going and and improve and and even just little things you know people will often say to me because I you know I'm a big fan of doing high intensity exercise you know short amounts regularly and I'll, I'll do push-ups whatever and put it on my Instagram and people go wow you know I could never do that I go just do one you know just do one and then you know we'll start against a wall and then you know in a few days time do two or three and you just just have to start don't you having the confidence to just say yeah, I'm just going to try one of these or two of these and then maybe do 10 of them. And that's how you start. I didn't start by doing 50 push-ups. I started, you know, by doing five and being completely out of breath. But you're right. You're right. And there, there is no too late to do anything. The, the benefits are just so massive. So totally agree. Yeah. Fantastic. Jeff, that's a really positive note to end on. Thank you so much. I've learned a lot. And, and I think I'm, I'm going to look at the men in my life with a different light now and hopefully be more encouraging and, and supportive and helpful and uh, and keep them going for longer. And I know that's that's your aim, too. And it's such a good book. I highly recommend it. Thank and thank you very much for your time today. Thanks very much. And that is it for today's episode. Huge thanks to Dr. Jeff. And as always, you will find all the links and the resources to his books and social media and more that we mentioned over on lazarewellbeing.com. And there you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter. And it's filled with plenty of healthy recipes for boys and girls and tips for living well. Huge thanks to all who leave us such lovely reviews. It really does help others to find the show if you're able to give those little five stars a tap for the ratings when you leave this that would be so much appreciated and until the next time we chat go well bye bye Liz Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Liz Earle, with production by Amaryllis Earle and Harry Trevithick at Heart Dialogue. With thanks to my producer, Ellie Smith, assistant... Res- Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Searcher Martha Comerford and guest booker Millie de la Morinière.